The Bible reading is in three parts this morning. The first one, I'll give you them all, I'll give you the page numbers and then you put your, your fingers in between them so that it's easy for you to get to them as I read them. So the first one is Matthew 4, verses 18 to 25, and that's on page 978 in the Church Bible. The second one is Matthew 10, verses 1 to 8, and that's on page 985. And then the third reading is Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, and that's page 1011, 1011. So I begin with the first one at chapter um, chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And then we move on to the next reading. On page 985, Matthew 10, verses 1 to 8. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, 
Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go, rather, to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And the third reading, which is on page 1011, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Carrius and the earning your money today. Um, please do keep your, your Bibles open, preferably if you, if you start at Matthew 4, uh, and then I'll explain how... Uh, or try and, try and explain at least how all these work together. But first, let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and set our hearts ablaze with love for the Lord Jesus, so that loving him as our greatest treasure, we may learn him as our way of life. And learning him as our way of life, we may live him for the renewal of the world. Oh Lord, open our eyes that we might see the life to which we've been called. And then, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would empower us to go and to live that life to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So since the start of September, we have been exploring what we believe is God's vision for this church in its next season, which is centered around three key goals, to be and to make disciples who love Jesus as their greatest treasure, learn Jesus as their way of life, and live Jesus for the renewal of the world. And we started the month with this crazy idea that Jesus needs to be the center of the church. I call it crazy because though many churches pay lip service to that, in reality we're often like Martha, busily scurrying away behind the scenes, whilst ultimately disconnected from Jesus. We then moved on to an even crazier idea that our top priority must be to love Jesus and that unless we love him as our greatest treasure, our evangelism will be like 
trying to persuade others to go to a restaurant that we've never eaten at ourselves. And last week, we started thinking about discipleship as apprenticeship and the call to learn Jesus as our way of life. And today, we're continuing that focus on apprenticeship to Jesus. That's the thread linking the three Bible readings that we've just heard from Matthew's Gospel. And so let me just kickstart our thinking in this direction by reminding ourselves of our working definition of apprenticeship uh, from Dallas Willard, the Yoda of Christian spiritual formation. So this is what he says a disciple or an apprentice is. A disciple or apprentice is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. So the purpose of an apprenticeship is to become capable of doing what the master does. And that doesn't matter whether you're an apprentice to Jesus or whether you're an electrician's apprentice or a plumber's apprentice or a joiner's apprentice. But it's also more than that. Because the goal isn't just that an apprentice turned master Uh, an apprentice then becomes their own master. The the goal is that that master, having started as an apprentice, will then go on to apprentice someone else, who will become a master able to apprentice someone else, who will become a master able to apprentice someone else, and on down the line. And if we don't get this, we won't properly uh, properly get Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28. Probably one of the most well-known passages uh, for many of us. But because Jesus isn't telling his disciples in Matthew 28 to go and do something crazy, far out, never been tried before. Jesus is asking them to go and repeat the pattern that he has modeled with them. Call people to apprenticeship to Jesus Train them as apprentices to Jesus. Send them to go out and invite more people to become apprentices to Jesus. Call, train, send. Call, train, send. Call, train, send. That's precisely the pattern that we see in today's three readings from Matthew's Gospel. Jesus calls his disciples... Jesus trains his disciples, then Jesus sends out his disciples to make more disciples. It really is that simple. But do you also see what this means? It means that we can't make disciples without first being disciples. It means we can't give what we don't have. And so the purpose of a local church is to be a kind of spiritual gymnasium for the training of apprentices to Jesus. And this is so important for us to understand that I'm going to quote some words from Dallas Willow that I know I've quoted before, uh, and I know, no doubt I will again, because these are really, this is really fundamental for us to understand, I think. So he says there is a special evangelistic work to be done, of course, and there are special callings to it. But if those churches really are enjoying fullness of life, evangelism will be unstoppable and largely automatic. The local assembly, for its part, can then become an academy where people throng from the surrounding community to learn how to live. It will be a school of life, for for, for a disciple is but a pupil, a student, 
where all aspects of that life seen in the New Testament records are practiced and mastered under those who have themselves mastered them through practice. Only by taking this as our immediate goal can we intend to carry out the Great Commission. So, in other words, what he's saying is that the role of of Christians, of disciples of Jesus now, is so to live the life of Jesus that people are attracted like moths to a flame. So that evangelism, you don't need a special department working on that. Because you're living so much like Jesus that people want to know. That they can see the difference. And they come wanting to find out. It's not so much going out and fishing, although that is still important, but it's an image of the fish jumping into the boat. If we really love Jesus, learn Jesus, and live Jesus, evangelism will just happen naturally and organically. And so what I want to do this morning is just try and walk through these passages and then spend some time trying to apply it to our particular time and place here in 21st century Osset. So first, uh, if you've got your Bibles open, um, turn turn with me to to Matthew 4, uh, verses 18 to 25. So let me just set the scene. So this is after Jesus has been baptized and he's been led uh, by the Spirit into a period of testing in the wilderness. After that, Jesus begins his public ministry and starts to preach. The verse just before the reading that we heard. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Next verse, where our reading picked up. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people At once, they left their nets and followed him. So let's just stop there for a moment. What's happening? Jesus is beginning his ministry as a rabbi. He's more than that, but he's not less, as a teacher, by enrolling people to learn from him, to become his apprentices. And notice what Jesus says to Simon and Andrew here. First, Jesus says, come. What made Simon and Andrew drop their nets, leave their career, and sign on with Jesus? As Tom Wright says, the, only, the answer can only be in Jesus himself and in the astonishing magnetism of his presence and personality. In other words, they're drawn to Jesus by love. People were drawn to Jesus not only because of what he preached, but by the way he lived, by the remarkable healings he was performing. They might not have understood it fully yet, but there was simply something captivating about him. And second, Jesus says, follow me. In other words, become my apprentices. The students of Jewish rabbis in the first century would follow their masters everywhere. They would be with them and watch them all day, every day. They would eat what they eat, sleep where they sleep, copy whatever they do. A third Jesus says, and I want you to remember this because it will be really important when we do get to Matthew 28 in a, in a little bit. I will send you out to fish for people. Let me ask you, what has Jesus just done with Peter and Andrew? He's just caught them in his net. He's just gone fishing for them. 
And what does Jesus tell them that he will make them? The kind of people who will do the same. There's a threefold pattern here. Love Jesus and come to him. Learn Jesus by following him everywhere. And live Jesus by doing what he does. It's not rocket science. The the Great Commission isn't an afterthought or an add-on after the resurrection. Uh, It's there from the very beginning. The purpose of apprenticeship to Jesus is to be able to go out and apprentice others in the way of Jesus. John Mark Comer describes apprenticeship to Jesus as organizing your life around three basic goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to do what he would do if he were you. In other words, the, the, the goal is to live Jesus. And so with that in mind, let's uh, head on uh, to Matthew 10, verses 1 to 8. So Jesus' apprentices uh, have been with him for a little while now. They've heard him preach the, the amazing Sermon on the Mount. They've watched him calm the storm, heal the sick, raise the dead, restore the demon-possessed. And now, verse 1 It's their turn. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. Skip down to verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those who are ill. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. What's happening here? Jesus is getting his disciples to do the very things that he himself has just been doing. And guess that, get this, they do it. Fishermen and tax collectors are preaching the gospel and they're healing the sick and they're driving out demons. Now, you can't sit there and say, yeah, but they were special. We can't do that. They weren't special. Only to their mothers. They were just like you and me. The difference is that they'd been in a radical apprenticeship to Jesus and were filled with his power. That's the difference. So listen to what Jesus says in John 14. And this actually kind of picks up exactly what Maria was praying in her prayers. So John 14, verse 12, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Later on in John 16, verse 7, Jesus says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate i.e. the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What could be better than having Jesus with you 24-7? Having Jesus within you 24-7. Why is it better that Jesus returned to the Father? Because if he returned to the Father and sends us his Spirit, then he can be present in every single one of us all at the same time. And before we move on to look at Matthew 28 together, what was the power that enabled Jesus to do what he did? Again, Marie picked it up already. I think she must have been reading my notes. Uh, But 
This is what Jesus himself says in John 5, verse 19. He says, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. In other words, everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, came from his communion with God, his being with God, his watching the Father. I said, do you see what this means? Just as the disciples did what Jesus did by being with Jesus and watching what he did, so Jesus did what the Father did by being with the Father and watching what the Father was doing. Jesus is the original disciple-making disciple. Wash, rinse, repeat. That's the, that's the image. Jesus' goal for me then is that I lead my life the way Jesus would lead my life if he were me. And John Mark Comer says, the end goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is to do what he did. It really is that simple. And here's a list that he made of what Jesus did. He preached the gospel. He taught the way. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He ate and drank with people far from God. He did justice. He made peace. He prayed. He prophesied. And he stood up against political and religious corruption. Now, if that list in any way makes you think of the spiritual gifts that God gives the church, there's a reason for that. There's a reason that the church is called the body of Christ. Because we who are the church, it's not the building, it's the people, we who are the church are to be the means by which he continues to work in the world. Jesus pours out his spirit on the church to enable the church to carry on his work of bringing God's kingdom to earth as in heaven. One of the prayers we pray after communion captures this beautifully. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. The goal of our apprenticeship to Jesus is to be the kind of people who are able to do what he did. Finally then, turn with me to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. So Jesus has risen from the dead He's appeared to his disciples over a period of time. Now he's returning to his Father in heaven. And these are his final instructions. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice then that the Great Commission, his final instructions, is not to go out and make Christians. It's not to go out and fill the seats with people who are kinder, sorter, maybe interested in Jesus. But to go out and make disciples. Go out and make apprentices. The goal isn't just to get more people to come to church by any means possible so that we're a mile wide and an inch deep. The goal is to apprentice people in the way of Jesus 
to go and make the kind of people who are able to live Jesus' life. The Great Commission is to make apprentices who look like Jesus, not just people who tick the box Christian on their census form. The Great Commission is not a command to try and inflate the church's attendance statistics by any means possible. The true measure of success in the church isn't the ABC of attendance, buildings, and cash, but the D of discipleship. The goal is not one mile wide numbers, but one inch deep disciples. Rather, as Dallas Willard would point out, Jesus wasn't interested in bigger churches. He was interested in bigger Christians. Jesus would consistently turn people away from following him because they weren't willing to sign on as apprentices. Apprenticeship to Jesus isn't an optional extra for the spiritual elite. It's what following Jesus looks like. Jesus doesn't say, teach them to know everything I've commanded you. What does he say? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's about doing. It's not just about filling your head with knowledge. It's about doing. It's about living. The things we really believe are the things we live. The the Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard writes this. It's a a long quote, but it's on the screen. Try and and, uh, follow follow along, because it's really, really helpful, I think. So he says, it's well known that Christ consistently used the expression follower. He never asks for admirers, worshippers, or adherents. No, he calls disciples. It is not adherents of a teaching, but followers of a life Christ is looking for. Christ understood that being a disciple was in innermost and deepest harmony with what he said about himself. Christ claimed to be the way and the truth and the life. For this reason, he could never be satisfied with adherents who accepted his teaching, especially with those who in their lives ignored it or let things take their usual course. His whole life on earth, from beginning to end, was destined solely to have followers and to make admirers impossible. Do you get it? Jesus didn't say, go and make worshippers of all nations. Go and make people who say they're Christians, but it doesn't touch or affect their life in the slightest. He says, go and make disciples, apprentices, students, pupils of all nations. And Kierkegaard goes on to ask, what then is the difference between an admirer and a follower? A follower is or strives to be what he admires. An admirer, however, keeps himself personally detached. He fails to see that what is admired involves a claim upon him, and thus he fails to be or strive to be what he admires. Now, we might today put that in the category of being a, saying you're a Christian, kind of a nominal Christian, and being a follower being an apprentice, a disciple. 
The Great Commission isn't an instruction just to go out and help people pray a prayer so that Jesus can forgive their sins. That's really important, but that's not the whole, the whole thing. And much less is it an instruction to telling us to go out and make people who call themselves Christian, but don't let it have any effect on their life whatsoever. The Great Commission is an instruction to go out and be part of God's work of making people in whom and through whom Christ lives for the renewal of the world. That's the call. That's the Great Commission. And how uh, are we to do that? By teaching them. What's the syllabus? Everything that Jesus commanded us. And that, by the way, is why baptism is only properly for apprentices of Jesus. It's not a means of making disciples. It's the result of disciples having been made. We don't baptize people because we want them to become apprentices of Jesus. We baptize people because they have become apprentices of Jesus. Don't get me started. That's a whole other sermon. It's commonly recognized that there are four stages to an apprenticeship. And it's true of any apprenticeship. I do... You watch. I do. You help. Third, you do. I help. Fourth, you do. I have a cup of tea. We, all, we see all four of these unfold in the life and ministry of Jesus. And again, that's part of the reason we've got these three readings. So first, Jesus calls his apprentices to watch him at work. That's the first reading. Jesus gives his apprenticeship... Uh, apprentices, then opportunities to help him. We didn't have time for this, but if we go to the, uh, go, go, go to the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, what job does he give his uh, disciples then? Go hand out the bread. In other words, I'm going to do it, but I want you to help. Then, Matthew 10. Jesus sends them out to go and do, uh, to, to go out for themselves and then report back on what they've been up to. In other words, you do, I'll help. Matthew 28, what's that? You do, I'm going to watch. It's the whole spectrum of apprenticeship. That's how an apprenticeship works, and Jesus is modeling it. Our goal is to live Jesus for the renewal of the world. So 93% of people in this country are not Christians and don't have any involvement with a church. And that's even a generous estimate, 93%. But together, we are in contact with large numbers of that 93%. They're working in our offices. They're playing football with us on a Friday night. They're attending our schools. They're living in the houses next door to us. And frankly, this isn't something for professional Christians like me, because I have to say, I'm useless at this, because I spend far too much of my time with Christians. But if it's for all of us, then we can all be missionaries. We don't have to go to the jungles of South America to be a missionary. We can be everyday missionaries. We're called to be everyday missionaries right here where we are on whatever front lines God has put us, whether that's the school gate or whether that's our next door neighbor. Most people outside of these walls don't know Jesus. 
But we as apprentices of Jesus are called to be as Jesus to them. To make an introduction, to show them something of who he is and what he's like. Uh, The Dutch Catholic theologian Henry Nouwen writes, We as followers of Jesus are sent into this world to be visible signs of God's unconditional love. Thus we're judged not first of all by what we say, but by what we live. When people say of us, see how they love one another, they catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God that Jesus announced and are drawn to it as by a magnet. Are people drawn to us because of the way we live as by a magnet? I pray that would be more true of me. And so to live Jesus for the renewal of the world means to put Jesus on display in the way we live our lives. It means to make every part of our lives a response to the reality of Jesus. It means to let our whole lives speak of Jesus. John Tyson, who uh, was one of the uh, speakers at New Wine, writes this. He says, we are not only called to believe the gospel in our hearts, but also to make the gospel visible through the quality of our lives. And he goes on. 1 Peter 3.15 says, famously, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Far too often, Christians spend time working on the answer for a question people are simply not asking because our lives look identical to those around us. The challenge is to live in such a way that it invites people to ask the question. Jesus' call is to become the kind of people whose, whose lives provoke those around us to ask questions of which he's the only answer. So someone at work says, I don't understand how you keep going. You're in this horrible situation, and yet you seem to have this peace. Where does that come from? And the answer is, Jesus. Now you'll be able to think of lots more examples. But our goal is to live, and I want that kind of life. Dallas Willard, again, I know I'm not on on promotion for his books, but he says, how many people are radically and permanently repelled from the way of Jesus by Christians who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boringly lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied? Yet such Christians are everywhere. And what they're missing is the wholesome liveliness springing from a balanced vitality with the freedom of God's loving rule. Spirituality wrongly understood or pursued is a major source of human misery and rebelling against God's. Most people don't reject Christianity because they've experienced it and decided against it. Most people reject Christianity because they've seen a parody of it, half-lived by worldly-looking Christians, and think it's not worth what's on offer. But on the contrary, most who come to faith in Christ, and the studies that have been done to show this, say that they know Christians whose lives are so beautiful, so compelling, that they want it to be true before they find out that it actually is.
So let me draw to a close. Henry Nouwen says this, if we want to be witnesses like Jesus, our only concern should be to be as alive with the love of God as Jesus was. Are you as alive with the love of God as Jesus was? That's the goal of our apprenticeship to Jesus. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of humanity, in other words, the purpose of our lives, of our existence, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's where our apprenticeship to Jesus is headed, to enjoy God. Isn't that amazing? To live in oneness with Jesus. To have his life throbbing through our veins. And so in the words of the infamous uh, family road trip, let me just ask you this question. Are we there yet? Let us pray. Jesus, what an incredible privilege it is to be called to live in such a way that we, that we might put you on display in our lives. Lord, we're not there yet. But we want everything about our lives to say, God is great. From the way that we do our jobs, to the way we raise our kids, from the way that we worship here on a Sunday, to the way we respond to criticism in the office on Wednesday afternoon, Lord, forgive us for settling for less than this. Forgive us for living so ordinary lives while claiming to be apprentices of such an extraordinary master. Let our lives be the canvas on which your beauty is put on display for all the world to see. And so we pray, may we so love you as our greatest treasure and so learn you as our way of life that we live you for the renewal of the world. We ask this for our own good but for your even greater glory. Amen.